0: It has been called the most notorious parable of Jesus. And in it, he makes a positive example out of a sneaky, scheming steward. Check this out. He was also saying to the disciples there was a rich man who had a manager a steward, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, "'What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager.' The manager said to himself, "'What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes.' And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little is, in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among man is detestable in the sight of God. Well, Lord, I pray that You will illuminate our hearts this morning and help us to understand a little bit more of this practical discipleship that I believe You've called us to. But help us, Father, not to go off on a whim. Ground us by Your Word. And lift us up by Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. John Wesley was once sent a letter accusing him of being full of malice and pride. And he wrote back, "Of malice I have none. Of pride I have too much." And I can relate. I understand that. And and what I want to do this morning, even before getting to the teaching is I want to confess to you my pride. I need to confess to you my pride because the Lord showed me something over the last, boy, really the last couple of weeks, something that I didn't expect. And perhaps you've been in the same place as me, maybe not even as much as me, but thinking about and processing all the faith and the finances and the financing that has gone toward completing our building over on Troxel. Over the last year, this has really been forefront. In fact, it's been more so than I've wanted it to be, honestly. I don't like dealing with money. I don't like dealing with finances. That's why Glenn is here. That's why Clark is among us, you know. And uh, praise the Lord, God has surrounded me with people who understand uh, money and, ha- and know how to handle it wisely and righteously. I look for spiritual cues, but in terms of practicality, man, they, they know what they're doing, and I trust these guys implicitly. Well, all of this began a long time ago... Uh, when I said we were going to do this thing debt free maybe you were here that day <laughs> I said we're, we're going to, I want to build this building debt free without a mortgage and yes I did say that and I've had some people come up to me and say you changed direction you said you were going to do it this way and now we took out a line of credit and now we have this LLC and so you've changed direction did we change direction? and the answer is yes of course we did absolutely we were clear about the change we talked about it more importantly we prayed about it our shepherds agonized over the line of credit before we ever got to this LLC idea we had the LOC and I was going to go get an EKG because the whole thing was freaking me out (laughs) anyway we brought it to you not having made a decision the opportunity came up. It was an unusual opportunity. Not typically given. And so we brought it to the fellowship. And we said, let's, let's pray about it. Would you pray about this with us? We have to make a decision. And the decision was very clear. Either just stop building because we were coming close to the end of our funds. Or continue building and receive take the line of credit from the bank. Those were the two choices. We said, please, pray with us. We waited another couple of weeks. We prayed, we waited, we agonized, we talked, we met. And finally our shepherds came together in the last time to a man with complete unanimity of spirit recognized this as a blessing from the Lord and I still feel that way. And I know there are those among us who say, yeah, but it's debt. I get that. I understand that. But I believe the Lord gave us approval both for the LOC and after that for the LLC. But it's not directional changes that concern me so much. That's going to happen. What concerns me is the pride that snuck in alongside my faith. And this is what I didn't see coming. And this is what I didn't expect. And the Lord really convicted of me, me of this. In that pride, you know pride can take many forms. We can be proud of all kinds of things. Some things we should be proud of. You know, I want my children to know that I'm proud of them, that I approve of them. That's important for them as they, as they grow up, to have that, that confidence from mom and dad. And so there are things we take pride in, things we are proud of. You know, I was really proud in pastoring a church that was going to build without a mortgage. Too proud. I was proud of being involved in a fellowship that, from my perspective, was better than churches who take mortgages to build buildings. And I was prideful in that. And wow, when the Lord showed me that, I just went... He showed me something else and that is very simply that the LOC, that line of credit and the LLC, at least in my life and I am not putting this on anyone else this is just me, but in my life I can tell you those two implements are tools in God's hands to counteract my pride. Because what has ended up happening is God said, you wanted to build debt free you wanted to do it your way I'm not going to let you do that because when it's all said and done you'll hold that up as something to be proud of. What I can say is that all the praise and the glory and the honor goes to God for providing ways to complete this project when it was not possible to complete. So He still gets the credit. And that's the point. When it's all said and done, that is the point. That however we get there, that He gets the glory, that He gets the honor, that He gets the credit. And so I praise and glorify God and I ask You to forgive me my foolish pride in thinking that way. For we're here to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and not that of our own. Amen? Now, you may be sitting there saying, Rick, but would God use tools like LOCs and investments, unrighteous money? Would He use stuff like that? Let's see. Let's go to chapter 16 of Luke again. Look at the first verse. Now, He was also saying to the disciples. He was also saying... What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, he was talking to disciples. So we're back to discipleship training again. This is teaching that is implicitly and explicitly for his followers. If you're not his follower this morning, you're welcome to listen. But it's not for you. This teaching is for followers of Jesus who are seeking to... Stay in step with Him, to live as He lived, to do what He tells us to do, to live practical Christian lives. And so that's who this is for, disciples. But it also says that He was also saying to them. In other words, He was continuing in the same vein as Luke 15, which we haven't studied yet. We're going to cover that on Wednesday night. If you know the Bible, you know Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. In fact, the three lost—the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. So coming right off of the story of the prodigal son, he was also saying, Luke says, connected to that story, now here's another story that has something to do with the previous story. What does this have to do with the prodigal son? Well, one of the problems in the parable of the prodigal son is money. Right? The prodigal son had an issue with money. He wanted his inheritance and he went and he squandered the whole thing had no accountability. He just used it all up. And by the way, in that same story, the older brother saved all of his money, but the inheritance was equally an issue for him because he couldn't enjoy it. He had it, but he couldn't enjoy it. And so, money was an issue. Jesus now lays this teaching alongside the previous teaching to His disciples... And it's a valuable if applied teaching for followers of Jesus. Here it is. There was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. We're going to call this financial manager manager Bernie. Because he made off with the rich man's possessions. Okay, if you remember the whole Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, I thought maybe you'd remember that better. Anyway, so so Bernie comes along and he's misusing his master's funds, his the rich man's funds. He's a, he's a financial advisor, a manager, and he's not doing right by it. He misuses it. First thing to note right here at the very beginning is that these funds were not His. They were His master's. They belonged to the rich man. They did not belong to the steward. They never do belong to the steward. There is no mine. There is no yours. There is only His and what we do with it. And I need to say that again because we forget that in a heartbeat. Even Christians... There is no mine. There is no yours. There is only His. What you have is not yours. What I have belongs to the Lord. I'm a steward of it. That's it. And we have such a mentality of our holdings, of our wealth, of our investments, and they are not ours. They never were ours, they never will be ours. It's only ours in that we are entrusted with it like stewards. God says, for you, I want you to oversee this much. For you, I want you to oversee this much. For you, this much. And they're different amounts based on our hearts. And I truly believe that, based on how God knows His people. And again, I'm talking to disciples here. He blesses to a degree and He says, I want you to use this now. And we immediately take it and go, look at what I've made. Look at what I've invested. And the Lord's going, no, it's not yours. It's not yours. To a person, we are just stewards. And gang, stewardship is a big deal to God. 1 Corinthians 4.1, we read this last week. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case moreover it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Peter said in 1 Peter 4:10 As each one has received a gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now Paul's talking about spiritual mysteries over which we are stewards or of which we are stewards. And Peter is talking about spiritual gifts again of which we are stewards. But my friends, stewardship also includes how we handle money. We don't talk about money all the time at the bridge unless it happens to come up in Scripture. And we run straight into this parable headlong into Jesus talking about money. Did you know that while Jesus talked about hell more than heaven, He talked about money more than either one? Well, Why would Jesus talk so much about money? Because He knows what's involved. Because He knows the holding our holdings have on us. And it's a place that He surprises us, I think. We go to the bank to check our balance, to deposit a check, and Jesus is right there. And He says, I want to be here as well as back there at the barn. When you open up the checkbook and start doing your bills, there He is, looking at you, smiling, (laughs) reminding us And so he talked very much about money. Verse 3, continuing on. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down, quickly write 50. He cut the debt in half. And then to the next one, verse 7, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. What is he doing here? Understand this. While still in the employ of the rich man, before the debtors catch wind of his sacking... This manager goes out to all these debtors and begins to settle accounts for less than they owe. Can you even imagine? You get a phone call from Visa. Listen, we know you owe 15 grand. Let's just make it 5. <laughs> Suddenly Visa's my best friend. And that's what he's doing going around and changing, having them write it, and he's signing off on it so that their debt now decreases. Verse 8, And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Jesus, how can you offer such a devious dude as an example for us? This is not right. What the manager does is not right. Because not only is he taking this debt away from those who owe, but he's, he's ripping off the master. What I would expect in a story like this is the master would come along and say, cut this guy's head off and let's go back and get what everybody owes us. But in Jesus' parable, the master praises him. Hey, that's shrewd thinking. Wow. All right. Good job. How can Jesus offer us a parable like this? I have friends who to this day love the Lord and love the entirety of scripture except for Luke 16. (laughs) Because they cannot let go of the fact that what Jesus is praising here is disreputable. What he's highlighting as a good thing is unrighteous. He even calls it unrighteous. What's the deal? Can God do that? Well, He did use that schemer Jacob to father an entire people. He spoke through the bellicose Balaam. He also spoke through Balaam's donkey, which always reminds me, if He can speak through a donkey, He can speak through me as well. And we know Jesus chose Judas. Was He surprised when Judas betrayed Him? Or did He not know What was going on? As for three years of ministry, Judas was, well, he was benefiting from the payroll. Let's put it that way. He oversaw the money and he was, John tells us, pilfering it all through Jesus' ministry. God used these people. God worked through these people, spoke through these people. And and remember that this is a parable. Okay? This is a story which a parable is a known truth that is thrown alongside an unknown truth to highlight the unknown truth in a way people can understand better, especially when applied to faith. That's always the key element in the parables is faith. Jesus tells the parable, if you don't understand it, it's a faith issue faith brought into the parables helps you understand what he's talking about. Well, what is the unknown thing here? What is the unrecognized truth? And it's the last part of verse 8. The sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind or their own generation than the sons of light. The word shrewd here. phronimos in the Greek. phronomos means wise Intelligent, but it's a cunning kind of intelligence. It's a craftiness. It's insight, it's ingenuity. And what Jesus says here is that many of the sons of light are stupid when we should be shrewd. We're dense when we should be discerning. Dumbed down when we should wise up. To quote the 19th century Scottish preacher Alex McLaren, he once said, Do not let it be said that the devil's scholars are more studious and earnest than Christ's disciples. What is Jesus telling us? That faith doesn't mean naive. That believing in Jesus and accepting biblical truth doesn't mean then that intellect goes out the window. Well, I'm a person of faith. That's all I know. Just faith. I don't know much else, stuff, things, but I know faith. That's not it. We're not supposed to be morons who come to Christ. We're not supposed to give up intellectual pursuit. We're not supposed to be people who can't think through a problem, who cannot articulate our faith. Can you articulate your faith in an intelligent way? And Jesus says, look, the sons of this age are shrewd as they deal one with another. Like this unrighteous manager. He's a shrewd guy. He saw a problem, and he figured out how to fix it, at least for himself personally. And Jesus says, the sons of this age are shrewd. The sons of light, not always so much. I'm a little offended, Jesus, that you would say this to me. But faith doesn't mean naive. In fact, Consider the calling sons of light. If you are sons, if you are daughters of light, what does that mean? It means well-lit clarity. It means that you can see where you're going. It means that your eyes are wide open. It means that you're discerning and wise because you live in the day and you don't stumble around in the night. We're sons of light. And Jesus calls us to be wise and discerning and yes, shrewd in this age. Ephesians 5 verse 6 Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them for you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not believe. Please listen. Do not believe the culture of today that says Christians are stupid don't accept that don't wallow in that well I may be dumb but at least I believe no no inform your faith be a student of your faith this is why we're into the word this is why we teach the word and go through the word here at the fellowship because we are to be wise and discerning and informed people in this age able to read the signs of the times and to do so in the light as He is in the light. Truth. Understanding. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.5, You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. And that's the point. Bottom line of the parable, He is not praising the end That is the manager ripping off his boss. He's praising, he's highlighting the means that is the cleverness of this CPA. The cleverness and the shrewdness of the manager. That's the point. Okay, so what's so praiseworthy about Bernie's shenanigans? Number one, he recognized his accountability. He recognized his accountability. He saw he was being called to account for his life and he took it seriously. When he's called to the carpet by his boss, he didn't just sit back and go, oh well, (laughs) wonder if I'm going to get fired. I don't know. I'm not going to think about that. He immediately goes out and starts to drum up business and to cover himself for his future. He's acting with recognition that he's accountable now. And a lot of people don't do this. Romans 14:12 tells us each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 9:27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having offered once to bear, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. We're going to come before the Lord. Are we eagerly awaiting Him or not? We are back to being dressed in readiness, which we talked about last Sunday. Dressed in readiness. And yet people will work so hard faithfully storing up and investing for retirement, working their fingers to the bone for security in the so-called golden years while leaving eternity to chance. That blows my mind. Think about the mentality: someone who works to age sixty-five, hard by the sweat of their brow, putting away, tucking away, retiring, getting the money in the IRA, saving it up, and then at age sixty-five, now I've got now I've got my retirement. Now I can live out my my days in, in joy. And, but you, but your body now can't enjoy it like you could when you were twenty. See, I think we should flip the whole thing around. <laughs> I think we should retire at 20. Okay? Go to work in our mid-30s, you know, and then just work till we drop. Enjoy the retirement Well, you can be out there skiing. Clark talked about skiing. I was thinking, yeah, I remember when I used to ski. <laughs> Way back. And I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, so people will focus on physical retirement. And the tragedy is when someone works hard and saves up their entire life, age 65 they retire, age 66 they're dead. Well, What was that worth? Okay, let's push it out a bit. They retire at age 65, age 75 they're dead. You got 10 years, great. Age 85, 20 years, great. Age 95, okay, 30 years, Max. 30 years, eternity. I'm going to get this investment down. I'm going to make sure I'm ready for this. Are you ready for that? So that's what the the, the mentality of our world is so messed up. Does it make sense to leave eternity to chance? (laughs) No. To plan all of your life. For the last few years, ignoring forever. Jesus is absolutely crystal clear. In so many teachings, if you are not ready now, you won't be received then. You can't wait and say, well, I'll just talk to the man upstairs then. First of all, I don't like when people call God the man upstairs. And secondly, when people say, ah, well, you know, we'll work it out. It'll be fine. No, it won't. It won't. How dare you say that? I didn't say it. Jesus did. And by the way, he said it 2,000 years ago so you'd have plenty of time to know. So that we wouldn't be guessing. He left nothing to chance, but we do. Mankind does. So when Jesus says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit, you know what that literally is translated? The uh, King James gets it right. Let your loins be girded about, let your lights be burning. Let your loins be girded about. What that means, to gird about the loins, meant to literally hike up the long robe in that day, high enough that it could be tucked into the belt that was worn around the waist, so you could run and not trip and fall on your face. If you had to hurry somewhere, you'd gird up your loins, and off you'd go. If you were going to fight, you'd gird up the loins, tuck them in the belt, and then you could move around with dexterity. But you can't. If you got that long robe, you're tripping all over yourself. And people would rather trip all over themselves with eternity at hand than gird up their loins now and be prepared when Jesus says, run, you're ready to run. When Jesus says, fight, you're ready to fight. When Jesus says, jump, (laughs) I say, how high? You're ready to go. Of course, a Roman soldier would gird his loins with a leather armor. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. What does that mean? Paul is saying, get your truth on. Wear your truth. Because the truth is, time is over like that. Mike, Leslie, it's been ten years since the first Bible study of the bridge. Ten years. You guys look great, by the way. But I... time rips by and it is over and if we have not girded up our loins now we will not be received then there is shrewdness there is cleverness there is wisdom in preparation in accountability and and this unrighteous manager had it He saw the writing on the wall and got ready for the next stage of events in his life. Second thing he did, he shrewdly reorganized his assets. How did he do that? Well, let me ask you a question. What were the unrighteous manager's assets? Any guesses? Looking at the parable? What were his assets? Huh? Cleverness. The master's money? You know what his assets really were? The debtors. They were his assets. He went to them. He figured if I can make... Because these people have stuff. Yeah, they owe him, but they have stuff. If I can make friends with them, thinking like a CPA, he is floating his resume, gang. I'm going to do something beneficial for them. And when I get fired, I can go right to this guy and say, hey, can I manage your funds? I'll go over here. And, And he does this to all of the people who now owe his boss so that when his boss kicks him out, he can go to those same people. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says, isn't it? So that when I am removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. Gang, the assets of the manager were the debtors. (laughs) Think about that. People who owed a great debt to the one who is truly rich. They are the assets. What are you saying? I'm saying there are assets as well. Huh? People are my greatest assets when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. Did you know that? In investing for the kingdom, people are my greatest investment. In fact, this rich man, about to terminate the uh, manager, the manager, the, you know the rich man's angry with them, but the debtors are thrilled. The debtors are like, "Yes. He's their new best friend. He's taken a page right out of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. This is smart business. Shrewd move on the manager's part as he reorganizes and prepares for what's coming. He networks. In verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And now this starts to make some sense. Why Jesus would use this example. What is He talking about? Make friends for yourselves by use of unrighteous wealth, unrighteous money. The shrewd steward uses his position and his resourcefulness to prepare And he did it by reaching out to those who are in debt. And if that's not a picture of evangelism, I don't know what is. But I reach out to those in debt. And I offer them the one thing I have to offer. Release from their debt. The friends we make who are all currently in deep debt to our Master, will themselves welcome us into the eternal dwellings because they're there. Because they've been saved. Because freed of their debt, they now go home. And Jesus says, you want to make friends like that because when you go home, they will be there to welcome you because you freed them of their debt. Well, you didn't, but Christ did, and you were the mouthpiece that brought that freedom. The Gospel of Jesus is the one thing we have that frees people of all debt. And so someone who is indebted to God, we have that. We are stewards. We have been given carte blanche to offer cancellation of debt by the grace of Jesus. Now, disciples dial into this. Because Jesus did anticipate the moral outrage and pious protest that His story would bring. He knew this would upset good Christians. He knew even as He told it that people were going to be offended by what He was saying and that is the making use of unrighteous wealth. And so He goes on to explain a few things. You might want to jot these down because this is where it gets very practical in our use of money as followers of Jesus. Number one. Apply shrewdness with integrity. Apply shrewdness with integrity. Verse 10, Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. But, and, He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. See, it's not the manager's unrighteous character that we're called to emulate. It's the cleverness with which he handled the situation. And Jesus points this out beautifully. I mean, how much better this guy is applying shrewdness with unrighteousness? How much better for you, for me, to apply shrewdness with righteousness? Shrewdness with integrity. To take the concept of being cunning and shrewd and clever, but apply it to righteous living. How much better is that? Proverbs 4.18 The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Well, that's living in integrity. That each day you are more open, that you are more transparent. Daniel 12.3 Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, if you were going to apply Jesus' parable to real life, You know what would happen to this unrighteous steward? More than likely, unless he found Christ, the unrighteous steward is just going to do the same thing again. He gets hired by these other people. He's just going to go out and squander their money. Why? Because unrighteous, if you're unrighteous in a few things, you're going to be unrighteous in a lot of things. Jesus makes that very clear. And here's where he kind of pulls the plug on being offended at the parable. He says, hey, those who are unrighteous in a few, they're going to be unrighteous in a lot. But those who are righteous with little are also righteous in much integrity. There is an integrity in a man, in a woman. Little unrighteousness grows into big unrighteousness. Think about Judas. For three years, a five-spot shekel here, a ten-spot shekel there, just pulling a little bit here and there, no one's going to notice. He kept the money box anyway. So just taking a little bit here and there out of the box, not a big deal, right? He's just taking it like when I was a kid. Oh, another confession. <laughs> My dad used to keep quarters. I don't think I've ever told him this. I hope he doesn't listen to this tape. I'm going to get in trouble. He used to keep quarters uh, in, in little medicine bottles in his, um, in his closet, just stacks of these quarters for milk money for me. And, and I, I learned of this. And just down the street, there opened up a, a video game parlor with quarter games. I don't even know how much I owe my dad. But I didn't think he'd miss it. A quarter here, a couple 50 cents there. Well, we could take out a dollar. You know, I mean, it's like half full, so it doesn't look very different if I just take little bits here and there. And this is the background of your pastor. <laughs> Full disclosure, gang. This is why you do not want Rick in the books. Anyway, but this is Judas taking a little bit here and there. It's just a little unrighteousness until he betrayed Christ with a big unrighteousness. Why would he do that? That was his character. And unless Christ comes into a life as he has with mine, unless Christ enters a life and changes that character, you're going to act the same. And so this manager would just do the same thing again. But little faithfulness develops great faithfulness. You may wonder, why has God not called on me to do great things in my life? Give Him time. You just be faithful with the little thing He's given you. What has He entrusted you with? may not seem like much. Be faithful with it. Because if you're faithful in a little, you will be faithful in much. Matthew 25, 21, the parable of the talents. Which is a money parable, by the way. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So apply this shrewdness with integrity. Apply this idea of cleverness with righteous behavior. Secondly, apply shrewdness to eternity. As this clever steward did. At least in terms of what was coming, he applied it to the next corner he was about to turn in his life, in his professional business life. Well, you applied it, apply it not to now, but to forever. Verse eleven Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use, the use note this the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? What are the true riches? I would say the joy of my master. Entering into the joy of my master. There are the true riches. There's something worth investing everything you have in the coming kingdom. That's worth it all. Wisely use what you've got now with internal or eternal intent. And again, he is talking about money. Now let's, because we like to spiritualize things and we like to say, well, yeah, but I have gifts I can give or I have time I can give and that's great. And then he talks about that in other places. Right here, he's talking about money. How you use unrighteous wealth. Note that, verse 11. Faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth. However you use your money here, how are you going to apply that to there? You're spending now, apply it to then. And it starts to get a little uncomfortable, Lord. Paul and Peter both use the same word to describe money. aistro kades in the Greek. And it means filthy lucre. sordid gain. That was their buzzword for money. Filthy lucre. Titus 1.10, There are many rebellious men, Paul writes, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not take for the sake of filthy lucre. For the sake of sordid gain. Peter said in 1 Peter 5.2, Talking to shepherds of churches, he said, shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God not for sordid gain filthy lucre but with eagerness again aiskro cades filthy lucre Jesus here referred to money as adikos mamonis unrighteous mammon some of your translations just say mammon Unrighteous mammon. What does that mean? Well, you may have heard it said that mammon was an idol. Mammon was a god back in the days of Jesus. Not true. It's actually not true. There's no historical record of a god named Mammonas. But the truth is, mammon here, this unrighteous mammon, mammon was a word used in the day by the Greeks, used by the Romans to refer to money. And Jesus calls it adikos mamonis, unrighteous mammon. He comes along, and what he what he does is he names money. He assigns it a personality. He says there's something attached to money, and you got to recognize it. And it's not cocaine. <laughs> Have you heard that that there's cocaine, traces of cocaine on every American dollar? I heard that. That's interesting. Really. I mean, maybe back in the 80s, but now there's this, really? There is. Actually, I snoped it. Go to Snopes, you can find out. Four out of every five American dollars have trace amounts of cocaine on them. Interesting. Paul wrote to Pastor Tim, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now I know some people come along and they go, hey, I don't love money, so it's not a problem. As long as I don't love it, money's fine. Wrong. Wrong. Jesus personified money, Mammonus. He gave it almost personality here. Why? Because money attracts filthy presence. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying if you have been blessed, if you have great holdings, if you have a lot of money. I'm not saying that you're an evil person. But I'm saying take care with your money, all of us, because there is a presence attached to money, unrighteous mammonas. There is an evil there. There is a lure there and it is one of Satan's favorite playgrounds. Money is not neutral. It is one of the greatest issues that cause people to fall that divide brothers in the fellowship, in church. Money. This is why most of the time when a pastor starts talking about money, people are like, hey, isn't this our morning to volunteer in children's? (laughs) Here's how to apply shrewdness to eternity. Use worldly memonies, unrighteous wealth. Listen to that. Jesus is approving this. Use unrighteous wealth as currency for the kingdom. Do you know that that's what the line of credit is? We are using unrighteous wealth. granted to you. Debt. It's not what anyone wants. We're using it for the sake of the kingdom. We didn't take out a line of credit so I could get an extra car and and add on to my house. We didn't take out a line of credit so any of the elders, any of the shepherds could benefit physically by it. took out a line of credit to keep the process of building going so there wouldn't have to be all stopped. Why would we do that? Because we were convinced to a man, absolutely, that God was saying, get it done. It is time to finish. And I'm going to provide a way to keep this rolling. And you may disagree with that, but understand, I'm not the one who said, use worldly wealth. Use unrighteous wealth for the sake of the kingdom. That's why we're building that building. Don't forget that. Whether you agree with the debt or not, and it's fine, we can agree to disagree if you're in that place, but don't ever forget that that building is not for us, it is for the kingdom. It is to be used for the kingdom, which means things are going to get broken. Which means things are going to get messy which means someone's going to walk into that building at some point not smelling too good. Praise the Lord. I'm not talking about any of you. Please, shower. (laughs) It means that that building has a function that is eternal, not temporal, and it is worth the investment for the kingdom. And that's got to maintain our mentality. Proverbs 13.22 The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. (laughs) chew on that one a bit. How can I use money? Unrighteous wealth. How can I use it and not be tainted by it? John Corson points this out. I love this. All you got to do is convert it. Just convert it. He says, Understand what money is and convert it. Convert your currency in light of eternity. Convert earthly currency into heavenly currency convert worldly wealth into spiritual wealth. I'm going to be doing something similar. I'm going to be converting money this next week. I'm going to be converting some cash into shekels. Because when we go to Israel, I want to have some shekels on hand so that I can buy things if I need to if we're in a place that doesn't take a card or whatever. I've got some shekels that I'm converting my money. So it's of use there. And Jesus would tell us this, convert our unrighteous wealth here, convert it to eternal currency what's eternal currency comes right back to what we said before it's debtors it's people we convert what we have for the sake of people for the sake of people getting saved and so yes i believe the llc and the loc are the wise use of filthy lucre (laughs) let's call it what it is it's money So it's filthy lucre. But Jesus says, it's all right, man, use it for the kingdom. Use it for eternity. That's why we use our money. That's how to be a good steward of it. Money can be a servant if the Lord is your king. But if money becomes your king, then you will be its servant. So don't serve your money. Make your money of service to the Lord apply shrewdness with integrity apply shrewdness to eternity and finally number three last one apply shrewdness with fidelity fidelity verse 12 Jesus says and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's remember it's not ours well who will give you that which is your own? No one can serve two masters. Either, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Apply shrewdness with fidelity. That is, in our finances, be cunning, be wise, be clever with faithfulness. Fidelity is that quality of faithfulness. Fidelity. The, the 60s were dubbed the golden age of hi-fi. High Fidelity. When music, when the the transfer of music to to acetate and to to record albums and then through stereo hi-fi systems was really better than it had ever been. The golden age of high fidelity, there are still people today who who think we've lost it. And we have, by the way, with with our iPods. The music is not as good. It's not as clear. It's broken down into, into ones and zeros. You know, it's digital. It's not as good as it was before. We've, we've lost something in, in the translation process there. Bad conversion, in my opinion. But the golden age of hi-fi, because of the precise reproduction of sound, and we are to precisely reproduce faith, fidelity in our handling of these things, what happens when we add shrewdness to high-fidelity faithfulness? This guy was clever to be sure, but he was not faithful with his master's money he was shrewd but he did not use his master's money well and so the question is how about us you might be clever you might be shrewd you might be a wise investor are you using it for your master are you recognizing that every dollar of investment in your life whether it's into a home whether it's into the bank whether it's into some other holding it is his and is your investment reflecting that Jesus says apply the edge of ingenuity to fidelity. So here's a simple test. Here's a simple test to know if you're really a wise investor of your master's money. Look at where your money goes. Even more simply, look at your tithes and offerings. Tithing is a huge principle of faith and faithfulness. I haven't talked about tithing in a while. In fact, there are many of you here who may not even know if Rick even has an opinion about tithing. I only talk about it when it comes up in Scripture. I only talk about it when it's highlighted. Tithing is a huge principle of the building up of faith. It's not a legalistic, righteous requirement. We don't have people come to the bridge and sign a little thing that says, I will tithe. You know, to the and by the way, tithing means 10 percenting. It doesn't mean offering. It doesn't mean giving. Tithing, the word tithing, means 10%. So if you're not giving 10%, that's fine. Just don't call it tithing. If you're giving 10%, it's tithing. That's what tithing is. But mark this, tithing is an incredibly effective tool in stripping away the power of mammonas. The power of filthy lucre. What do you mean? Every time you tithe the first 10% of your income, every time you write that check, you are reminded of this truth. It's not your money. It's not my money. It's His. That 10% is not because God needs my 10%. That 10% is because the Lord wants to remind me that He's blessing me with the other 90%. I'm going to let you keep that. You give me back 10 because I need you to understand faith. And not to forget that this comes from me. And someone might say, well, does it have to be 10%? No, you can give more. (laughs) Objection! Tithing is an Old Testament concept. Overruled. Tithing is a godly principle. Jesus said in Luke 11.42, Woe to you Pharisees, for you pay a tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. In other words, your tithing goes all the way down to your gardening, man. Woe to you! For you do that, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. Now, if he stopped right there, we'd say, oh, see, tithing doesn't matter. It's just compassion that matters. But he didn't stop there. Jesus went further and said, but these are the things, justice, the love of God, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the former. That is your tithes. What are you saying, Jesus? Do both. Give your 10%. And trust me. And love people with compassion. Do both. Jesus approved tithing. Along with justice and the love of God, it's not an either or, it's a both and. I'll just read this to you quickly. I know we're running a little... We're not running longer than usual, but we're running long. Malachi chapter 3, let me just read this to you. You can turn there if you'd like, but I'm going to start right now. Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And Jesus says, The Lord says, Test me now in this. So one time God says, Test me. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All in the nations will call you blessed and you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Test me. You give 10% and then watch me take care of the rest. Because when you give 10%, you remember that it's me. And that I am your provider. Well, back in Luke. We get some reaction here in verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and they were scoffing at Him. And He said to them... You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of me. You ever done that? Okay, we're going to get into some meddling here. You ever justify yourself when it comes to tithing? I can speak to that because I did for years. I did for years. It would come time to put the check in, and I go, ah, but I need it for this. Ah, but this month I really can't. Oh, now, you know, hey, I give to compassion. we had had two compassion children this was years ago I didn't give to the church we had two compassion children I figured Mm -hmm. that was our tithe that was our offering by the way that's not tithing that's charity because that's something where I am determining where that money goes tithing I don't determine where it goes I give it because it's a faith issue between me and the Lord regardless of what my church or other organizations do with it it doesn't have anything to do with why I give. I don't give to determine I want X amount to go to youth ministry and X amount to children's and X amount to missions and make sure you give some to this. No, you don't do that. You just give it. To trust the Lord. But I, I remember writing the check and, and then not dropping it in and justifying myself to not do it. Jesus says to the Pharisees, that's what you're doing. But God knows your heart's For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. I almost didn't read those last two verses because they're so negative. But they're so true. There are two pretty distinct reactions that could take place to this morning's teaching. You will either disregard Jesus' words or you will highly esteem Jesus' words. Those are your options. Highly esteem His words. Disregard him outright. The Pharisees chose the latter, and they scoffed. Oh, whatever. Listen to him talking about this stuff. Money, using money wisely, whatever. We're Pharisees. We know what we're doing. We know the law. And here's where the confusion lies in either accepting or rejecting the parable. The confusion lies in what God esteems versus what man esteems in what Jesus honors versus what the world honors. All morning long as we've gone through this, Jesus has been laying out two choices. Two very simple choices. You have an option here to either be a son of this age or a son of light. A daughter of this age, clever, functioning in this world, wisely, with worldly attributes, or a son and daughter of light you might say well but didn't Jesus say the sons of this age are more shrewd than the sons of light and that's the key don't miss this that's exactly it they are more shrewd for this age but this age is coming to an end and all of that shrewdness of the sons of this age is coming to an end as well it only goes so far and it stops It stops with the coming of Jesus. I would much rather be a shrewd son of light. A cunning, clever, wise, discerning, understanding son of light. Knowing that what I do here, the greatest impact is not for now, and it's not in my coming retirement, it is then. That's my coming retirement. Now I'm not telling you what to do with... I'm not saying cash in your whole retirement account either. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that we look at our finances and we think about how does this bless the kingdom? How am I enabled to take this? And I'll, get, I'll go back to Ray Rimt. I'll give you an example. You know what Ray does? He's going to Cuba. Well, who's paying for that? He is. How's he doing that? His retirement. He worked for years for Boeing. Built up a healthy retirement. Now what's he doing with it? Mission work. Preaching the gospel. Going out. That is wise use. Of unrighteous mammon investing in the building wise use of unrighteous mammon for each of us what we need to do is go before the Lord and say Lord I have this how would you have me use it not how would Pastor Rick have me use it What well, the shepherds say I should no how does the Lord say you are to use what he has blessed you with and then respond it's very simple All the wisdom in the world, gang, won't get you into the next age. The age of the kingdom of Christ. So be wise, be shrewd, be smart. In the Lord Jesus, be a steward of His that you might be received into eternal dwellings. I'll end on this, James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May we be wise stewards. Lord, we need your help with this, for even in understanding your words this morning, there's there's a certain degree, I think, among all of us of okay, how does this work out? How do I pay my responsibilities here? How do I do what you're asking me to do? And Lord, I believe I believe it begins by coming to you. So we do so right now. And each one of us we come before you, Father. And we ask You to show us what to do with whatever unrighteous wealth we have, be it a lot or a little. May we be faithful in a lot, faithful in a little, faithful with whatever You have given us, never forgetting, Lord, that we are but stewards of what You've given. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.